Chapter Twelve of His First and Last Appearance by Francis J. Finnis J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Twelve, in which some very pleasant characters make their appearance, and the day begun so sadly is ushered out to the merry jingle of sleigh bells and the happy laughter of joyous youth. The cause of Isabel's fainting on Grand Avenue is not far to seek. The burden of responsibility laid so suddenly upon her shoulders had borne down upon her too heavily. After all, she was but a girl, and previously to the time of her mother's fatal illness, she had, while facing the sordid cares of life, someone to lean upon. When the burden became too great, then, she could shift it to other and stronger shoulders. But now it was so different. No wonder that the girl faltered and staggered. No wonder that her nights were sleepless and her days were gray. Black care had planted his standard in her heart. Thus far, her only consolation she had found in her religion. Prayer had given her strength, but it had not and could not give her the wisdom which comes with many years and with much experience. She needed a friend, she needed a director, and it was the want of such a guide and counsellor that strained her anxiety, at this time, almost to the snapping point. Isabel was by nature of a reticent disposition. She found difficulty in unbosoming herself even to those whom she knew and loved. It was the grief that does not speak, which together with watching and fasting had been the cause of her fainting on Grand Avenue. Isabel, said Philip earlier that afternoon, I believe that man was following us. What man, Philip? asked the girl anxiously. She was leaning back in an easy chair, a little touch of color in her face, but still looking very weak and warm. Why, the man we saw at the window last night. Did you see him again, Philip? cried the sister, sitting upright and going suddenly pale. No, I didn't, but the sisters did. When you fell on the street, he came up behind us, and then, when the sisters turned round, he made gestures for them to come to your help, and then he ran away. But how did they know it was that man? Oh, they don't know, but they told me about his dark glasses and the beard and the slouch hat. Perhaps he's an Italian brigand. Do you think he's a brigand, Isabel? I don't know what to think, my dear. Philip, would you like to go back to New York? I'm willing, answered the boy indifferently. Here's a letter for you, miss, announced Mrs. Downing, appearing at the open door. Hurrah! cried the boy, running to get it. And, he added as he glanced at the postmark, it's from New York. Here, Isabel, read it quick, and tell us what's the news from home. Marie, Charlie, he piped, running into the hallway. Come up quick, there's a letter from New York. While Philip was thus holding forth, and while, with screams and other manifestations of delight, Marie and Charlie came tripping up the stairs, Isabel had opened the envelope and was eagerly reading its contents. It's from Sister Juliana, my dears, she said. Excuse me one moment till I read it. Amidst much dumb show on the part of the children, Isabel read the following. St. Helena's Academy, New York, December 16th, 1890. My dearest Isabel, busy as I am with the cares of a great school and a sufficiently large community, I cannot, cannot banish from my memory my dear little girl alone in a strange city. Little girl, do I say? Ah, my dear Isabel, though you are grown quite tall and become quite womanly, I see you ever as a little one whom I prepared for her first holy communion, 
a little girl with bright, eager eyes, a little girl who worked so hard to prepare worthily for the first coming into her heart of the loving master, and who could never be satisfied to think that she had done anything like half enough. When you made your first Holy Communion, dear, I watched you, and even as I watched, I felt that God had some special designs in your regard. I have never changed in my opinion, and I doubt not that in his own wonderful way God will order all things for your good. To them that love God, all things work together unto good. And now, dear Isabel, thinking of you, night and day, thinking of my dear little First Communion girl, I feel instinctively that your days of suffering and trial are upon you. Knowing your tender heart, knowing, in a measure, at least, your fine and delicate conscience, understanding your present condition, I am sure that you are more lonely, more distressed, more desolate than you care to admit. Well, my dear, take the advice of an old sister who loves you very much. If thus far you have found no work that would make it worth your while remaining in Milwaukee, then please, please return at once to New York. You have obeyed your mother's last request. You have gone to Milwaukee as she directed, but she did not tell you to stay in Milwaukee. God will reward you for your obedience in going thither. You have obeyed, but will God be pleased with your staying? You owe it to dear little Philip and Marie and Charlie to be prudent. Now, if you return to New York, I have still a place open for you, ten pupils at least. If you are short of money, my dear, telegraph me for what you want. You can repay the money at your leisure. Be assured that a warm welcome awaits you in yours. We are all praying for you, and some of us are praying in particular that you may soon be with us again. Poor Professor Himmelstein came to see us the day before he took the steamer for Germany. He talked of nothing but Philip. The old man was very dejected and noticeably absent-minded. He says he does not know whether he shall ever return or not. My dear, if you want to gladden very much an old nun's heart, send me word that you are coming. I wish to see once more your face and clasp your dear hand and hear your voice ringing in my ears before I sing my Nunc Dimittis. I do not say anything about Christmas, because I hope to see you face to face very soon. Yours with much love, Sister Juliana. It's good news, I know it, said Marie, as Isabel laid the letter on the table beside her. She had been watching Isabel's face during the reading, and had noticed rich waves of red passing over the transparency of the cheeks, and a returning brightness in the half-closed eyes. Well, my dears, are you all ready to go back to New York? I am said Philip. I'll be glad to go wherever you go, added Marie, nestling up to her sister. I want to go back. This place isn't big enough for me, said the youthful musical director. Well, then, we shall start for New York tomorrow afternoon. Charlie at once got a chair and proceeded to play choo-choo. The eyes of Marie shone with delight. Philip was pleased, but not particularly demonstrative. "'Wasn't it a waste of money to come here?' asked Marie. "'I think not, Marie. We did it for the sake of our dear mother. We are not wasteful when we are obedient.' "'There is a girl to see you in the parlor, Miss Isabel,' said Mrs. Downing, looking in at the door. She waited till Isabel came out, then added in a low voice, "'It's Miss Jenny Hume. She's a Holy Angel's girl, and her father is one of the leading Catholics of the city.' On entering the parlor, Isabel found herself facing a girl full-grown, but somewhat below the middle size. She had a healthy, somewhat ruddy complexion, and very pleasing hazel eyes. 
Her expression was singularly open and cordial. Please don't think me impertinent, Miss Lachance, she began with an engaging smile. Sister Mary Agnes was telling me about you, and how you were a stranger in the city. My name is Jenny Hume. Indeed, it is very kind of you to come and see me, said Isabel, taking her hand. Please call me Isabel, and I'll call you Jenny. Sit down, Jenny. You see, continued the girl, Sister Mary Agnes has taken a great liking to you, and I always like any one that Sister Mary Agnes likes. If you had heard her talking about you, Isabel, your ears would have burned. I'm so glad she likes me, said Isabel with genuine enthusiasm. When I saw her, I felt that I was meeting an old friend. What a lovely life she leads. How do you know that? Oh, it's written on her face. She is just lovely, admitted the visitor, but I don't see anything very lovely in her life. Ugh, to live in a sort of prison all the time, to get up early and go to bed early. I love Sister Mary Agnes, but I do not like her life. Some walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage, quoted Isabel, smiling. I suppose it's all a matter of vocation, said Jenny. No doubt. After all, it's only the yoke of Christ, and that yoke is sweet, and that burden light. I wish I was more religious, sighed the girl. Almost at once she broke into a radiant smile. Anyhow, my brother is. He's as good as any boy could be. I mean my older brother. My younger brother is outside in the sleigh. But it's cold. Hadn't we better bring him in? Oh, please don't think of such a thing. He is bashful to a fault, and not only regards girls as evils, but even thinks they are entirely unnecessary. He's only twelve, though, and will doubtless change his mind. I know a good many boys that have. You're converts, I suppose, said Isabel with the first gleam of mirth in her eye. The two girls were still laughing when Mrs. Downing ushered into the room another visitor. Why, Sophie, cried Jenny, this is a surprise. It's jolly of you to have come. Isabel, this is Sophie Quinlan, a classmate of mine. I must begin by apologizing to you, Sophie began. No, you need it, broke in Jenny, or you'll make the same speech I made. Isabel knows why you've come. She's a friend of Sister Agnes's, and Sister Agnes's friends are yours. Sophie was taller than Jenny. She had a fine oval face shaded by a mass of rich golden hair. Her brothers disdainfully called it red, but small boys have no poetry in their soul. How nice of you to visit me. I feel half sorry now that I'm going back to New York. What? cried the two in chorus and glancing at each other with evident disappointment. Yes, we go tomorrow. It's too bad, said Jenny. I've been studying out how to give you a nice time. So was I, said Sophie. Oh, that could hardly be in any case, said Isabel. You are girls going to school, and I... But we are to be graduated this year, objected Jenny. Even so, I must work for a living. Yes, but you needn't work all the time, argued Sophie. Perhaps it would be a good thing for me if I had to work for a living myself. As it is, I neither work nor pray. She goes to Mass every morning, whispered Jenny in Isabel's ear. At this moment there came the sound of voices from the hall. My name is Philip, they heard as they paused instinctively to listen. Philip Lachance. 
Jenny gave a little gasp and a perceptible start. I've heard that voice before, she said. My sister's name, continued the same voice, is Isabel, and she's the nicest girl I ever saw. And I lived in New York, where there's no end of girls. Come right in, Miss Ronane, and I'll introduce you. Good lands, exclaimed Sophie, if it isn't Edna Ronane. And Edna Ronane it was, a girl of seventeen, tall and stately, and quite at home with Master Philip, who led her by the hand into the room. While this third visitor was being introduced, Jenny was staring hard at Philip. "'You needn't introduce yourself, Philip,' she said, coming forward with signs of embarrassment, which puzzled her friends, for Jenny and embarrassment were seldom found together. "'I've met you before, and I'm very, very glad to meet you again.' "'Where did you meet me?' "'Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices,' she quoted. "'What? Did you hear him singing, Jenny?' when he was downtown yesterday? asked Isabel. I did, Isabel, and I actually felt like falling on my knees, but I didn't. Do you know Mr. Dunn? asked Philip. Very well, he's a great friend of our family, answered Jenny. He's my uncle, said Edna, and one of the nicest men in town. There was someone slipped a dollar in my pocket while I was singing, continued Philip. Did you see anyone doing it, ma'am? And he looked full at Jenny. Jenny's face was on fire in an instant. That's a fact, she said hurriedly, turning to Isabel. I almost forgot. The afternoon is slipping away, and I was forgetting what I came for. Isabel, won't you please do me a favor? Why, certainly, Jenny, if I can. My brother's out there with our sleigh. Won't you come out for a sleigh ride, please? you and the children? You must see something of Milwaukee before you leave town. Why, Jenny, put in Sophie, that's just what I came to ask her. Both my brothers are out there, and two brothers are more troublesome. I mean, better than one. Three hearts with but a single thought, said Edna. We've all been making the same arrangements, and keeping it a secret from the other two. I've got a sleigh out there, and my cousin Tony— who is absolutely the best boy in town, put in Jenny, in a tone half serious, half playful. My cousin Tony is to be the charioteer. He has forgotten more about sleigh riding than those brothers of yours know. Philip, during the making of these generous offers, had bolted from the room. Hey there, they could hear him bawling. Hey there, Charlie, Marie, get your things on in a rush. We're going out for a sleigh ride. At once there was a great movement and noise on the stairway outside and in the room above. Had Philip shot at fire, he could not have produced a greater commotion. It's simply wonderful how much kindness there is in the world, said Isabel. I don't know how to thank you for your kind offer. Of course I accept. It will be a treat to the little ones, and, of course, to me, too. And as I was first on the ground, I claim the privilege of taking you in my sleigh, said Jenny. Thank you, Jenny, and Philip, too. I'm uneasy when he's not near me. Edna, will you take my sister Marie? It will be a pleasure. And where do I come in? asked Sophie with a playful smile. Oh, you're to have our musical director. Charlie is only six, but he's the coming Sousa. At least, that's what he thinks. 
there was a clattering on the stairs a whispered consultation outside followed by the appearance of three little children red and rosy and smiling and bundled up for zero weather the girls pounced upon them at once and there was much kissing in view of the sleigh ride philip submitted with surprising grace marie and charlie were delighted there were three sleighs in the line outside the four occupants who had been gaily chaffing each other at sight of the girls relapsed into silence and stiffness not one of them but could have met a football rush with better grace than such a company as now came down the steps paul and leo brothers of sophie quinlan looked far into the distance kicking each other's shins furtively the while tony the tall cousin of edna took off his hat bowed blushed then pretended to find the harness a subject of absorbing interest while walter jenny's brother blushingly amiable broke into a smile which he was able to keep up for almost any length of time and while in connection with the tender down quite observable on either cheek gave him the air of a glorified pussy-cat it was a splendid afternoon the sleigh-ride divided into two halves by an intermission consisting of an extemporized musical at the house of edna ronayne lasted more than three hours and when it was over night had fallen and the stars glittering points in a fairy field of purple twinkled above to the happy laughter of young people to the happy laughter even of isabel who had been cheated out of her troubles for a time by the sweet charity of three little girls from school End of chapter 12